0: The Telegraph.
2: the Telegraph Podcasts Podcasts, oh, and the atmosphere is growing. We should have already started recording it. This would be great. Preamble. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club today. Liverpool's hopes of reaching a record 18 consecutive wins in the Premier League were dashed by old foes Manchester United in a one-all-drawer Old Trafford described as exciting by one of the audio football club team an opinion not shared by the panel. The bespoke local pressure cooker remains switched on in Tottenham as Spurs fail to beat bottom club Watford while it's back to business for Manchester City on a weekend which nearly causes us to break our promise to you to never discuss VAR for longer than one minute per show. Plus we unpick several reports of racism, from around the UK there's a band El Clasico and how to motivate referees to watch more television Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined as ever by Mina Rizuki How are you Mina?
0: Oh I always say the term as ever when I introduce as well and people just always laugh at me for using it
1: Well well, who are you introducing with as ever?
0: Uh, Usually when I
3: do the
1: no, don't mention anything. Bleep that, Joel. Beep that. We don't want to hear about any other podcasts, As far as I'm this aware, is this is only the one that only football podcast.
3: Well, there are other football podcasts. I know,
1: JJ Bull. It's a shock, isn't it? How are you? Where have you been?
3: Uh, I was playing football yesterday. We uh, lost heroically, 11-2. <laughs> yeah. Did you get on the score sheet? No, I, I did get an assist from a corner, and I was heavily involved with some other of the nice play. But uh, we were, to a man, awful. Sounds like a Scottish game. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was Aberdeen like versus
2: Everton. That was the that was the game. Take that,
3: completing our lineup states.
1: The
2: boy wonder Sam Dean. How are you, Sam? I'm good. I'm a bit sad because this weekend was the first weekend this season I wore my winter coat yeah. at a match. You've and gone early there. I hope I It's hoped, still autumn. I hoped it would be a mistake, but it wasn't. Oh And I was right to wear it, which makes me realise that the next four or five months are gonna be very cold. Which and match April. were you at? Uh, Palace Man City. Yeah, but that was an
1: evening game. And it was it was cold in South London on Saturday,
2: but also Palace's press box is slightly indoorsy. Yes, and I still felt quite cold in the winter coat. So I'm I'm afraid the time has come. You poor wee scrap. It's gonna
0: be a good five months.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's gonna be long. We'll get on to Palace, but let's start with Manchester United's one-all draw with Liverpool. Our Northern Football correspondent James Ducker was there for us and has recorded us this match report, seemingly from a building site.
4: It was an interesting one at Old Trafford on Sunday. Manchester United would undoubtedly have taken a draw before kick-off against Liverpool. Indeed, they were set up like an away team, hoping to keep it tight, to be honest, and perhaps nick a goal. By the end, though, with just five minutes of normal time left and leading 1-0, I think they'll have been very disappointed not to hang on and claim that victory. You looked at that United line-up and you really wondered how they could have been left with such a squad after blowing the best part of eight hundred and fifty million pounds in six years. But in the absence of genuine senior leaders... It was the youngsters who stepped up to the mark. Daniel James, Marcus Rashford, Scott McTominay, Aaron wan They all demonstrate the sort of hunger, the fight, the urgency this fixture demands. But still, the, the limitations of this United side, you know, clear and obvious. Clear, as clear and obvious, I'd say, as the foul by Lindelof on Origi in the lead-up to United's goal. that The VAR opted not to rule out. And In that respect, it was... It was pretty mystifying to once again see such a potent Liverpool side pitch up at Old Trafford and deliver another meek, tepid display. It's hard to point your finger at it. Is it, is it mental? Dif- difficult to know, but, you know, it's obvious this fixture has historically been tight and scrappy, but they missed a huge opportunity at Old Trafford last season, and it was the same again on Sunday. Obviously, they still boast a six-point lead over Manchester City at the top of the table, They're in very, very good health. But this was probably as poor as Jurgen Klopp's side have played since Napoli away last season, and the first points they've dropped in the Premier League since early March.
1: So, one all in the end, Sam. Was this ultimately a fair result? Uh,
2: Yeah, I think so. I think United did better than many people expected, and Liverpool did considerably worse than most people expected. Um, One thing I'm not entirely convinced by is the sort of the the chain of argument now that this could be a turning point or it was a, a great moment for, for Solskjaer. I mean, it, I don't think we learned a huge amount new about Man United here. we I mean, their defence is actually quite good. Their, their problems this season have been, going forward, the lack of creativity, the lack of any sort of attacking structure, as we've discussed on this podcast before. So playing in a way they did against Liverpool by sitting deep and counter-attacking is something we knew they could do and they defended very well, which... We knew they could do They've got one of the best defensive records in the league still. So the questions that have been aimed at Solskjaer about creativity and everything that comes with being Man United and playing against smaller teams uh, will not go away based on this evidence. Um, For example, Dan James looked great because he had space to run into because Liverpool pushed up higher against Newcastle. Dan James looked terrible because they sat deep and he had no space to run into. So there are issues going on which this match will not have resolved. But at the same time, they were more resolute, perhaps, than most people would have expected. And on that alone, that will be seen as a step forward.
1: It did seem to me like a good performance in the context of what happened before the international break. That that defeat at Newcastle was particularly atrocious. They did at least come out with some aggression and intensity, Mina, and they could have won it.
0: Well, to be honest, I thought that I learned quite a bit, which is, one, that Fred is still a good footballer when he tries, um, <laughs> that Pereira is rather good in a number 10 position, that Marcus Rashford is still wonderful and still capable of doing some rather astonishingly good things. You know what bothered me about this? is If you are capable of doing this, if you are capable of, of bringing the challenge to Liverpool, fighting for the ball, producing like these wonderful like skills, then why don't you do this day in, day out? Obviously, it becomes a lot harder to motivate the side when you're not playing the likes of Liverpool or Manchester City. It's much harder when it's a, a, a oh, I guess a poor set of games. But I thought that that it was Solskjaer did a very good job on a tactical level. I think that what he looked at, he's you he saw Liverpool, and Liverpool are very good. But they're they're top, they're, they're top in the sense that their front three are wonderful, their back four are wonderful. But the midfield's always been a bit industrious, and he's just thought, you know what, I'm going to force you to beat to beat us with your quality. And they don't really have that quality in the midfield. And I think that you've got to see that again and expose time and time again. And it's it's a little bit like with Man City. Liverpool have a fatal flaw in the sense that if you defend with against them with a deep block, like Mourinho said, that is going to be a problem for them. And United forced them to to show their quality. And they really didn't have that kind of quality. And neither do United, to be frank. Um, but uh, I thought it was a very exciting game. And if you are you know, capable of that... I mean, not exciting game in the sense uh, yeah. that...
1: <laughs> the, shock, the shock and awe was Yeah, the, uh, I think that is, you're right. I, I mean, you're
0: just looking at your reactions made me re, you know, reconsider what I just said. <laughs> I think what was nice is the fact that if you are capable of playing this way, then why have we been watching the most hideous performances against the likes of Newcastle? And this worries me because then they have this one of fixtures in November in which they face Bournemouth, Brighton, Sheffield United, and then Aston Villa. This is United, Manchester United. Are they going to look at all of this and think, yeah, we're just going to coast through? Or are they going to actually do something special?
1: Yeah, interesting position for them to be in where it's almost against the smaller teams that they face more questions. What about Liverpool, JJ? It seemed like a very disappointing display from them. What was up with them, did you
3: think? Um, I think although Klopp was trying during the week to G them up and say that they have to take Man United really seriously, it'd be a big game, I think a few of them didn't really turn up. I think Origi had a really poor game, didn't seem quite fired up in the way they should have been. But uh, I also think the way that Man United set up um, in the first half, most of the second Uh, killed them having Wan-Bissaka and and Ashley Young as wide midfielders they weren't wing-backs they were really high so they were pushed high onto Alexander-Arnold and Robertson and those are basically Liverpool's playmakers that's who makes all the chances for them so because they couldn't get forward and they were having to rush passes forward um, that that worked but also they had a block in the middle of midfield so there was nothing there was no way to get passes through the middle either and then the three centre backs had uh, they were tight to each of the strikers so then they couldn't get on the ball either and they just slowed everything down I think a lot of Liverpool's uh, approach play they were looking to try and hit high balls towards where Lindelof is because we know that he can't deal with aerial balls very well and that doesn't really create many chances and I think just Man United kept them really quiet it's a shame that um like the changes that Solskjaer made later on in the game when he changed it to more of a five-three-two than a five-four-one, it meant that Andreas Pereira was moved out from his 10 position to, to wide right and he doesn't close down things he did not see danger quite as quickly as some others and so him and Juan uh, bissaka who's still very young a bit inexperienced maybe didn't see danger when he should have done which is how Robertson crossed in the ball in the, the final bit for the equaliser but they just needed that space, Robertson and, and, uh, and Alexander-Arnold, and they got it in the final 15 after Solskjaer tweaked it more. It's been too risky. It makes sense to try and block things out, I guess, in the last few minutes of a game, but you also then give them the space they needed.
0: just wanted to ask you a question, because obviously like the tactic is to break down the, the fullbacks. Yeah, so sort of like their playmakers, like you said, yeah, Robertson, Trent, Alexander. Mm. So when you do that, and then you defend in an no block, is this the time where, you, where Liverpool would have needed sort of a Coutinho or that kind of player?
3: Um... I, it, it's really difficult. United, were I mean, like we we're saying, United will be better against smaller teams because United want to play in the counter, and mm-hmm. you can't play in the counter if you have the ball. So yeah, they absolutely. only had thirty-two percent of possession. So they they basically Liverpool fell into the trap and then <laughs> couldn't get through it. But I mean, it, there was loads of chances that Liverpool created. I think and Manny's goal. would well, won't mention the the handballness of it, but that uh, that should have been a. That, I think that should have been a goal, and that would have been them 1 1, and they probably would have grown into it. And uh, you see, sorry, your head as golf. in, if, had he not handled it, it should have yeah. been a goal. But then uh, well, it's it's, it's accidental handball, it. okay, okay, right, I, okay. I would argue. It's accidental, but uh, that happens. But then again, that's, <laughs> that's Lindelof being left 1v1. And it's also that, that goal that didn't count was because Young had dropped back. To deeper than he should have been from his position in the first place.
0: But United also had several chances that they didn't take the most. They yeah, no, the, most the, most. I
3: think they were fine. But then you always get chances on the counter because Liverpool have to open up mm. to try and break them down, and you always leave your centre backs uh, on their own that way. This is this is how it works. But I mean, all teams in the world struggle against teams who defend deep. But uh, Man United engaged kind of halfway, and they weren't too deep. They didn't only dropped into a five when they had to in certain bits during the game. It's just really well managed until the end.
2: <laughs> I've, I've enjoyed the reaction to Van Dyke losing his balance against Marcus Rashford, and everyone's put Twitter going, "Ah, he's 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 human after all," as they <laughs> always say. And I think my United fans are crowing about that, which I think is an indication of quite how good Van Dyke is.
1: Liverpool missing Salah as well. Um, that yeah. would have made a big difference.
2: I think so
3: because then you they can't um, they can't attack in the same way. And you saw that Manny was drifting inside quite a lot, when he should be more to the right. And Origi kept drifting out to the left. She was getting bored not getting the ball in the middle. And I think Salah just scares you a bit more. So you'd have to think about what you're doing. You probably couldn't have just three centre-backs. You want an extra. It's all about getting numbers on them.
2: When when they were sort of whipping in those crosses from so far back, as you sort of mentioned, United sitting deep and Alexander-Arnold was crossing from really, really deep and sort of far back from from the touchline. I did think, you know, because they've got Firmino up front, who obviously is brilliant, as we know that, dropping in and playmaking and knitting those seeds together. But it didn't really have an actual option as a proper centre-forward. Um,
3: I know, but like, then I think with Liverpool, the whole point, of, like, you know Klopp loves counter-press and the whole point would be you put it in, it gets cleared and then second ball, like your second phase, is, is that when you attack and you create the chance that way because the defence is trying to organise where they are, which is something I think Man like, United are bad at.
0: I think what you're saying is basically their planning is really good, but sometimes if there's a chink in the armour of planning, you're not entirely sure that they can just... Re- re- reverse it all and play a different type of plan b sort of it thing.
2: just felt like this is something that very rarely i feel watching liverpool but it felt like yesterday they could have done with having a big bloke as a striker off the bench
0: yeah I, I think they, they have
2: in the past had those players and tried to buy those players like a rigi who should only ever come off the bench yeah, and only ever play centre-forward. He shouldn't yeah. be playing on the left wing. Yeah, he's guys, not so a let's good let's left winger.
0: Let's not be too harsh on Rigi. Like, the guy did, like, you know, manage the comeback against Barcelona in the Champions League. Yeah. For me, he's a champion.
2: <laughs> only as
1: good as your last game being. Get him out. Sack him. Let's move <laughs> Carol on.
2: Carol back in, I reckon.
1: <laughs> 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 that would be the transfer to end all transfers. Let's move on to a couple of must-win games, or so they seemed, on Saturday morning. Um, the first of which was Spurs, which, of course, they didn't win. They were very fortunate, in fact, to get a draw against Watford. They still look so far, meaner from their normal levels. Would you be worried if you supported Tottenham?
0: Yeah, hugely worried, to be honest. Um, I looked at this game and I just thought that if it wasn't for VAR, if it wasn't for... Um Watford being sort of better finishers because they had so many opportunities, then they would have lost this. And quite comprehensively, you know, maybe I'm a little bit exaggerating on this, but, you know, you watch the likes of Delefeo and Pereira just... Um, Combining and Serge Aurier having to come in, which thank God that he did, because most of the time you watch Decore just for just move from midfield, make these wonderful penetrative runs. No one was tracking him. It just looked like this was a side that was more interested in watching what was happening than actually trying to stop it. They did, of course, have their moments. I thought Deli Ali in particular was very good for them. Maybe he he's there to try to prove something. Um, but in general, I thought that the way that Watford played deserved more than than what they got actually. Um, And I'm a little bit worried about Spurs going forward, yeah.
1: All right, I suppose we're going to have to start the one-minute VAR timer now as we get into a very, very busy weekend for the video assistant referee. So, Sam... Incorrectly displayed no goal after Deli Alli got the equaliser. Crowd in complete disarray. <laughs> Massive penalty decision against Watford. It is a mess, isn't it? Surely something is going to have to be looked at. Maybe not immediately, but at the end of the season. Because the way it's been implemented, the way it's been communicated,
2: something's not right. This felt like a really bad weekend for VAR, our mm. good friend VAR. Um, the, the the penalty decision on uh Delafoe with the tong and bringing him down, I mean, I don't understand. I just... I know this sounds like a really basic point, but I don't understand how you can look at that and not give a penalty. The whole point of VAR is to correct mistakes made on the pitch, right, by the referee. Not, Not to just back him up no matter what. I just find it baffling.
0: Yeah, it, it was sort of something that Klopp said, yeah, which um, obviously I know he was saying it because he was like, you know, well, we let games, you know, we let the, the ball go on or the movement go on because we know that there's VAR. And then VAR's there that's supposed to stop it, to come in and say, OK, well, this is a clear and obvious error.
1: Right, so if the ref doesn't make a decision thinking that VAR's coming... Yeah, then yeah. basically uh, then, he's then always ...then you're getting right. the wrong message yeah. that <laughs> the ref's made the decision, which he hasn't yet. this you-
0: was almost like a repetitive foul by Vertonghen. He did, like, two or three moves that you're thinking this is a penalty yeah. for sure. How could you not overturn that decision?
3: How are you feeling about it, JJ? Uh, I still like far. I think... <laughs> oh, that's it, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> so... No, the subjectivity of it is... is no, we're going. Oh, Stop okay. it. Stop it. Okay. We've, got
1: to, we've got to stick to our promise to our loyal listeners. Um, so back on Spurs. Mm. We have spoken a lot about their situation, but are we seeing anything to suggest that Potch is going to turn this around? I know he's had a marvellous spell there, but it, it's, it's been how many years? Four or five it's a By long while, it's, keeps saying, it's a understandable that, yeah. that, you know, the impetus might be running out a little bit and the situation is getting away from a bit because so many of the players seem to be thinking about leaving.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we, we've said before how this is a team clearly in need of an overhaul. And I think everyone at the club knows that too. Although Poch did say last week, I was at his press conference last week when he said, I don't, I don't, I don't want to make any signings or have any departures in January, which I think would respectfully say is him just saying that to try and galvanise his team rather than actually believing that because I think he tried to use the international break as a reset button and he was very um, sort of deliberately um, relaxed and um, charming on last week in his in his press duties and he was saying that or talking about togetherness and he was joking about how he had he had joined in training and he was sort of keeping the ball away from the younger lads and that sort of thing and it was all very. Doesn't bode well for them. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. It's a, it was all very, you know, aren't we, aren't we a great big family and everyone's happy together and we're pulling in the right direction. I think he used international break as that moment to reset and sort of change the mood. Um, so for them to then go out and play just as poorly again against a team like Watford, who had such a terrible start to the season, I thought was actually in many ways just as worrying and troubling as some of their other results this season.
3: I think that's just as far as reverting to type. I think they've overshot for the last like two, three years. Uh, players, particularly on XG, I always talk about that. But like Harry Kane, just guarantees you goals that you shouldn't normally get. I don't think Deli Alley has really come on since two three years do you, ago.
1: Do you think then that a new manager might actually take them on a bit, might improve them a bit? Uh, if if they have been overachieving under Pochettino, that someone with new ideas that might take the talent that is obviously there and and get them to another
3: level. I mean. <laughs> No. It's really difficult. Like, what if Jurgen Klopp went in and then turned them around and galvanised it and turned and made them play the way Liverpool do? He would still need better players to be able to do it. Mm. And like, it's the end of a cycle. But that's part of the management, isn't
1: it? Like, what Klopp's done so brilliantly at Liverpool is basically tear up the team he inherited. Like, that's yeah. that's part of it.
3: Yeah, he introduced a new style of play. Um, he did it very well, quite quickly. But you know, he finished eighth first year he yeah. was there, and then like, I th- Pochettino is clearly a very talented coach. Um, but it looks like it's the end of a cycle for Spurs. Uh, they probably need to get some new players in but they won't get anyone nearly as good as players like Harry Kane and and Ericsson and guys like that but if they're wanting to go you don't get the same drive from them and they'll go to Real Madrid and Pochettino's probably thinking well maybe I should go to Real Madrid when Zidane gets done and it's it's not great for them. But. I just
0: I just feel like honestly, unless you're going to get like Klopp or Pep Guardiola, you're pretty much got already one of the best already. And he does have a squad that's still got the skeleton from 2015 2016 with very little changes. I mean, Klopp does have a management that will support him in buying these transformative players that come into the team and change everything from Allison to Van Dyke. And you look at Vatonga and Alvaro and all these types of players, and you think, my God, I mean, you know, and and you, how can he change it the season? He's not going to go in December and find himself two wonderful centre-banks that are ready to be sold at a reasonable price that's going to satisfy Levy. So there's really very little that he can do to change this on the other than the fact that you are facing one of the best Liverpool sides probably we've ever seen and one of the best Manchester City sides. So it's like, how far can you go? How can you continue to motivate a side that is worn out, that's been doing the same thing for four or five years minimum, and that's not being regenerated? You went through a transfer market without anything. Now a transfer market that was also below expectations. I I just feel like there just comes a time where who are you going to bring in that's going to galvanize them or at least do something for the long term rather than just for a one term
2: and how are you going to pay for them yeah. unless you flog your best players that you already have
3: and also when he does buy players he doesn't put them in the team he just <laughs> I don't know yeah. how long he needs them to integrate and get ready to play in the Premier League but they don't they take forever to get in the first team yeah. and I don't understand what the thinking behind it is whether he actually what in the first place
2: um part of it is fitness um he's very demanding uh, if, in many ways, well, according to some people, he's too demanding. Uh, well, maybe which is part that's, of the problem. Yeah. I think that's. Um, a weird,
0: I think it's a weirdly European thing, to be honest. Is it? Yeah, because I always find it quite shocking when new players do go into the team straight away. I, I prefer that they have sort of like a two-three month, you know, like
2: incubation mm, okay. period. Yeah. Lucas Mora took at least six months, didn't he? He came in January and didn't pretty much didn't play properly until the start of the next oh, season. I still don't even think of him as a Spurs player yet. <laughs> <laughs> He's still a fresh face. That, despite
1: that's being there uh, like that's very much your problem, JJ. I know. <laughs> the other must-win game was Everton, who hosted West Ham on Saturday lunchtime, and they did it. They got it over the line. Uh, they won seven of their last nine at home. Um, and the next four games of Brighton, Watford, Spurs, Southampton, all feel you know, like they could get a decent amount out of those. They're not too bad, are they, JJ? I mean, you've you've said all along they're the most medium team in the league. We yeah. haven't changed our opinion too much about Everton.
3: No, I think that Everton and West Ham could have played this. They could play this game every day for the next like uh, two weeks, and it would have a different result every single time. <laughs> it's also down to individual mistakes. They did make a big change. You took um, like Sigerton was dropped for this one and put a Will in. I mean, Sigurdsson scored an absolute pinger at the end, but uh, it looks like. Um, Silva is maybe changing things up a wee bit. I, I don't think just to try and save himself, which is because things aren't quite flowing for Everton. But they're not. Uh, I mean, them and West Ham, I'd say are pretty even. It's just they've won this one. I'd imagine West Ham will win the
2: next one. But we yeah. say oh, Everton is so medium, but they shouldn't be. Look at what they spent on that squad. Look at the people in that team. That that shouldn't be a medium team. They should be so much better than they are. And it's yes, nuts, isn't it? This was a good a good win, and they needed it. And Marco Silva in particular needed it. But uh, you, you still have to say they've underperformed. Considerably,
3: Tom Davies is back in as well. Yeah, he, um, he's not played for ages. And, he was uh, very good as well. Like his yeah. uh, potential, had kind of been st- like his, or his growth had been stunted, and he wasn't going to get into the team again. But uh, he was very good that game. Yeah. Mm.
0: So you know his average spell, Marco Silva at a club, um, the ones that he has lasted for more than like a few seconds, um, is around fifty three games, and this was the fifty third game. Oh. So I thought, oh, what about if he loses this one? You know, fifth consecutive defeat, and he's out. But. I thought there was at least the one thing that I can say for him is at least he let his players play with a level of freedom, happiness that you wouldn't have seen from a side under so much pressure. But I do think this is also West Ham sort of throwing it away, yeah. not even trying.
1: Yeah, Pellegrini said at half time he would have swapped all 11 players if he could have done. I'd quite like that to be an option once a year. You get to play your <laughs> joker. And like just a wild card in like, yeah, fantasy, yeah. Yeah, yeah that would be, be brilliant.
3: Yeah. Can, we, can we make that happen? I think that's, we can certainly uh Let's start ask. a campaign. Yeah, let's do it now.
2: Okay. They've lost, three out of the lo- they've lost three out of the last four games and draw one away to Bournemouth since beating Man U. And like, they beat Man U and I remember myself coming in here and saying, look, they've got all the ingredients there to really push on for a European place as long as they're consistent and don't screw up against lower teams. And they've instantly gone and screwed up against all the lower teams again. <laughs> like, yeah. what, what, you know, What's going what's gonna to trigger this sort of change that they need, which is consistency? And I, I don't really know the answer. It's the toughest thing, isn't
0: it? Do you think West Ham can do it, that Fabianski?
2: Uh, it doesn't I'm help. I'm really
0: worried about them in that way anyway oh and also you know Ejeti that guy that they brought on is that how you say his name
2: he's a bit of a who isn't he
0: yeah but it's just a bit like he had three touches in 17 minutes and you're like I, like, I don't know whether this was a really good decision to sell to Chirito you know mm. anyway. anyway
3: let's move
1: on to the rest of the Premier League now it was a fairly straightforward win for Manchester City in a horrible kit with a beautiful second goal Sam um Looked like it could have been many more than two 0 for them at Palace. How positive a sign was it for them that they did beat Palace quite comfortably, a team that's given them problems in the recent past?
4: Um,
2: they did have problems towards the end. Uh, they needed Edison to make two really good saves, uh, particularly one from Benteke, which was extraordinary, outrageous. Safe. Yeah, that was brilliant. Uh, and Palace, I think, actually did a decent job for the first half an hour. Had ten minutes where they got blitzed, conceded two goals in two minutes, and that was pretty much that. But I didn't. I didn't look at City and think. Yeah, they're they're back to their best here. I, I was still a bit. They looked a bit wobbly at the back, and there was a lot of praise afterwards for Fernandinho and Rodri playing as centre backs, and everyone sort of saying, "Oh, they're so good at bringing the ball into midfield." Well, well, well Yes, they would be. They are <laughs> midfielders, um, but they weren't so good. I thought, at stages, they looked quite nervous together, and they looked a bit troubled by Zaha at at points. Not not massively. Don't get me wrong, but at points. So I was I wasn't convinced it was it was them. You know flying again but yeah it was a good win the goal scored by Silva from Sterling's little scoop was really really nice that was one of the goals of the weekend for sure and Gabriel Jesus um, scores again Um, I think there's an argument and I don't want to make it too strongly because it's almost like sacrilegious but there's an argument I think to say that it's time Jesus became number one to the nope. forward over Aguero? No. Nope. no, nope.
0: <laughs> That selfish desire to not pass to Kevin De Bruyne when he was yeah. in a much better position explains to you exactly why he shouldn't be number one.
3: Jesus, in defence not- of him, I've seen Aguero do that a thousand times as well.
0: Yeah, but because you know Aguero has a better chance of actually scoring and if he does decide to be selfish. I don't know,
3: like... No, I don't think no. so. I think they have the same chance of scoring, yeah. I finish, finish. Would that have mattered
1: as... My defense from there would be well. It was two nil up anyway. at that point. Yeah, they were two nil up. So you know, yes, it matters. you get to be a bit more selfish when you're two nil up. It, it's not, you it know.
0: matters. Carlo Ancelotti lost his job because Bale was selfish. So no, this matters. You also see
3: individual players will have their own like <laughs> tasks for a game. So the like, Pep will be saying that you should get two goals here today. They'd be on a goal bonus as well. Well, yeah, but <laughs> well, yeah. Forget the money stuff. And surely, like he's been told, you need to get 15 goals a season. If you're going to keep Agüero at the team, you need to be getting 10 out of the next. Uh, Twelve games, that sort of stuff. So he doesn't hit his targets. He knows he's out the team. Also, maybe I wonder because Aguero's a little bit older, you might just be trying to keep him fresh for Champions League games more because he got that experience in that in that games. But I do Pe- feel like
0: Guardiola cares more about how you play in the final third as opposed to getting the goal. So if there's anything in the contract, it's how many you may have assisted or how many like you it's know. Not,
3: not not the contract. It's just like individual aims.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like oh, Aguero's tried to change his game. I, d- I yeah, Gabriel Jesus also has that. One. Okay, I don't just know. Just don't run sure.
3: a- Surely it'll
1: be more sophisticated than that is City. It'll be XG targets, not gold targets.
2: <laughs> yeah. I heard about us talking to someone in the office this morning about expected threat, Oh, the new, the new measure oh. coming out. Yes, You're going to have to be all over that, I JJ. bet JJ's got a massive expected threat. <laughs> There's
1: because... an expected threat that JJ's going to learn what that phrase means before the end of the season. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: are we just a little bit upset that there was two centre-backs um, who weren't centre-backs? And don't you just feel that Palace should have perhaps tried a little bit more you know, inject a little bit more power. I thought that they were very scared the centre-backs when Benteke came on. Mm. And I'm not saying, yeah, start Benteke. I know that he hasn't been exactly, you know, the guy that's been firing from all cylinders. Um, But... You know, he scored against San Marino. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so he's we get sick. Let's, um Nine, it was nine nil. Let's talk about Benteke because he was a fantastic striker for he a little was. while. He was brilliant at Villa. He was all right at Liverpool. He started pretty well for Palace. How do you go from being really quite a good striker to a bit of a joke? He's not scored now for so long.
3: It's just confidence. Like I, it, I think so it's just that and you can see it Like it affects so many people in different ways but if you're an elite athlete elite footballer and uh, part of what makes you so good is that you believe you're better than everyone else you believe you're going to win this header you believe you're going to score these goals it's not even that you believe you just think you just know you just know that's going to happen but then you start to see the, me- the mechanics of it it's not it's not muscle memory anymore you're trying to make things happen that you know used to and so it doesn't happen and then you get even more down you don't trust yourself uh, people stop looking for you because they don't think you're going to the ball like again, if they played Benteki from the start and they were hitting balls into him they have just given possession up more and had more counterattacks I think that's probably why they didn't do it from the very start yeah. but like what's he what's he going to do I mean I feel it's really sad what happens to strikers like that because clearly he has all the like he's all the physical attributes to be a really like, good striker like a penalty box poacher all these bits but I thought also, also if
0: they just have a little a, a bit like if, if he gets more minutes, but not without the pressure of thinking that Jordan, are you just you know, ready to take on his, his position? And I just felt sorry for him because, you know, he can't get the minutes. But at the same time, you're thinking to yourself, it's a little like when you need to go to sleep and you think, oh, I've only got six hours left. And then I've only got five hours. And you've got so much pressure on yourself to try to sleep that you don't end up sleeping at all. I kind of feel like that's the way he feels right now. He's just trying to sleep.
2: I wrote a piece about this a few weeks ago and I spoke to a sports psychologist about what actually happened because what I find most striking about Benteke is that when he was good for Villa, he was so physically powerful and he would literally bully defenders the whole time and now he doesn't seem to do that at all. And you don't lose physical strength and the uh, psychologist was telling me that lack of confidence will physically make you feel weaker and it will make you feel slower and it actually has a knock-on effect to your physical performance. So it's all in your head but it actually knocks on and Benteke will feel less powerful than he did when he was playing for Aston Villa. That
3: is dead interesting because I was speaking to the Aberdeen manager about Sam Cosgrove who's scored something like I think it's 34 goals in 43 games at Aberdeen. He was absolutely nothing before he came. I mean he was I would go as far as to say he's one of the worst strikers I've ever seen play at Forthtorry, <laughs> and he, but it's just, I just didn't get it. Like he just the ball would bounce off his feet, and he just, couldn't do anything. Um, to, I don't know, be too harsh on the guy because like I really like him. I think he's I mean he's amazing. A for that, I really
0: like him. I just, I just just him. him.
3: He was <laughs> nothing. He was a blob. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't loved uh, throughout the Aberdeen crowd when he first came in the, on the scene, but now he is one of the. Like he'll play in the championship soon he'll be in the championship for quite a bit of money and uh, McInnes was saying the thing about Cosgrove was that uh, when he came he was quite wee like he's a tall guy he's quite you know he's not stocky but he just didn't have much power to him and the, the more they got him in the gym the more he felt good about how he looks and how he feels good like confident about the way he looks like with his, sh- his shirt off he looks really good now he looks hot and that's when <laughs> he goes in the pitch he's like I'm sexy I'm going to score some goals and I wonder if that might be because yeah. that just flows through you and you feel like good like that Ronaldo so, has that so well, you just
0: you want a makeover basically? You think a makeover makes a difference?
1: <laughs> I think if
3: yeah, if I just spend some more time in the gym, maybe we'll lose eleven four. I love it. But if you
1: Literally feel
2: sexy football, <laughs> if you feel, and this is this is the this is probably not relevant to Premier League football, but if you feel like strong and pumped up,
1: are we about to get into? Audio to I'm the going to club reveal there. something
2: I've never revealed. This is why you didn't push up, up to the podcast, to the, the podcast room. I, I do push ups to 4 football sometimes. Is that right? You do a few because you want to feel like the blood flow oh, a I bit pumped up. It before Wait, that, it feels like
1: there's going to be a bigger revelation here Sam. what we to No say? that was the push up. Oh thing. that's rubbish.
2: <laughs> <laughs> why you so he if, s- if he's feeling buff and pumped up? He probably thinks yeah bring it on. But if you're feeling a bit that like weedy and oh, I've, got, I've not been gym for a few days, and you're not going to you're well, not going to get gonna Benteke so on the phone to Why not just hire exactly. a
0: psychologist? Why do not you just hire a guy who'll help you push forward? And Ab- budgets
2: in Aberdeen are not good. No,
0: no, I mean <laughs> Benteke. Benteke will have
2: his own one. I'd imagine he. Oh, they tried all that. that. Hodgson yeah. said that we've tried. You know, Hodgson said a few weeks ago, like, oh, we've we've tried everything. Oh, really? Okay. Now, 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 we're trying the new one, which is basically dropping him. Oh, that's really sad. <laughs> that oh, <is> really <laughs> stop. How
1: would you motivate Christian Benteke? Podcast fans, an email uk. let's talk about Aston Villa versus Brighton and Hove Albion this was a great game 44 attempts on goal in total it's good to see this sort of football JJ from clubs like Villa and Brighton I thought they could they'd be well within their rights to set up very defensively and play for a draw uh, and grind or, or just sort of grind it out but um, they were both going for it did you enjoy this one
3: uh, yeah I like these sorts of games um, I know it's like Mina's nightmare isn't it having Pretty two much. teams go at each other <laughs> I, don't, I think it's great and it, it, these games it's early, early enough in the season and they've both done well enough so far that they can afford to um, well, the cliche, give it a go but uh, I mean Villa took till the very last like last 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 minute just to score their winner um, Jack Grealish was superb throughout he's turns out actually a lot better than I thought he was he he's actually a very mm-hmm. talented player Um I think Brighton. It's. It's. They seem to start well under Porter, and now they're not getting the results. And well, come I wonder- on,
0: they they beat Spurs, and they were playing with ten men. So I love that everyone goes on about how wonderful Villa is. They're playing yeah. against ten men, I mean, and it's talking. a poor
3: squad. You well, know, yeah. I think it he's was doing, a good game, yes. doing a good job I think, I think so too yeah I it just, says
0: five Brighton players on my notes one greedish and bang that's all <laughs> I noted about the game
3: the thing with Potter like, no matter how like the, the football's good to watch and he, I think he's great because he's done good things before and I think he'd be a great manager for for most of the Premier League but if they don't get any results in February Brighton are going to be going well we're going to get relegated and they'll, get, they'll chop him and then you just
2: not sure who, I'm not sure they will I'm not sure I think Dan put put seen I've seen that
3: him. movie so many times before though right like
2: yeah, I, I, I think the way they've tried to sort of change the mentality and philosophy of the club yeah. and bring in young players, and they've got a great academy system there, it's time to start mining it, really. And Dan Ashworth's there with a long-term goal in mind, and I think there's enough evidence so far to think that they'd probably trust Potter to get them out of it. I don't, I don't f- think they're e- going to pull the trigger. Fall.
0: Even if they fall, you feel like he'll be the man who'll take charge of it and try to get them... I mean,
2: obviously if they get like spanked and get relegated by a by mile, then he'll go, but... I I think Brighton want to give him Mm. quite a lot of time and they'd be more willing to do that than most clubs at this point. Um, Just on Grealish and muscle, have you seen how different he looks physically to when he played Premier League before? I know he was obviously a lot younger than a teenager then. Yeah, yeah, he's filled out. He's properly filled out. And his calves, I think, are the biggest calves. In the Premier League right now would be my uh, suggestion. He's enormous, and he's brilliant, and he should be playing for England. I think uh, hopefully at the next um, international break.
0: Okay, let's just let's just hold on, and, and you know I don't want to put too much pressure on this. Like
2: on we'll Greeley, he can handle it.
0: On Mason Bound, uh, we say this, but we don't know. I feel like sometimes they get worn out, and again, like we have to see how he does and how he progresses against opponents that are not Brighton and down to ten men. You know, and then we can. It's my pet peeve about how we.
1: No, no people, get, people get into international teams too quickly.
0: I, I don't know, just slowly. Like, there's nothing like rushing them. There's so many good players right now Mason Mount, Jack Luke, Grealish, there's um, Madison. Madison, exactly. Phil Foden, who might never get a minute, but you never know. It's all right, Mimi.
1: you can say it. Football's coming home. Let's just quickly talk about the one Premier League game we've got on Monday night. It's Sheffield United hosting Arsenal. This looks pretty banana skinny for Arsenal. Sam, what's going to happen at Bramall Lane?
2: I'm on my way up after this.
1: Lovely. We need to Great finish grounds. on
2: time Yeah, I've never been. Oh, ball. what a treat. I need to get my keyring. ring, add what that to my collection. Um, Yeah, it's a bit odd one, this, because Sheffield United have got a good system and a good sort of structure and they've got a, a solid midfield, which are all the things funnily enough that Arsenal don't have. But Arsenal have really good strikers, which is one of the things Chelsea United doesn't have. So it's for me it comes down to basically um, individual class of Aubameyang and Lacazette who should be back uh, versus a very well drilled system and uh, a team that's a very good unit. So it should be quite an interesting uh, matchup. I think if I was to bet on it, I'd probably put one or 2 nil Arsenal just because of that quality, but United are a good team, and they've only—I think they've only lost—they've not lost any game by more than one goal this season. So, it will certainly be close. It will not be a walkover at all.
1: Unfortunately, we have to discuss racism in football again after a extremely trying week for fans of progress and 2019 being what it should be. Um, it started with the nonsense in Bulgaria for England on Monday, uh, and then Harry Gay Borough walking off at home in the FA Cup uh, with the Ovilles fans abusing their goalkeeper in particular. Is that the right solution at this point, Mina? Taking the players off?
0: Uh, it's very difficult to tell people what they should do at this moment because I think that you know the sort of like this was discussed at Bulgaria when Southgate and the team were saying that they'll walk off if anything's aimed at them, and they decided to stick by the UEFA three prong protocol. But it's it's really hard to tell players, yeah, you have to listen to it, this announcement's gonna come on and then we're gonna, you know, stop it for a few minutes for another announcement Why well, you'll continue to be abused and you have to just sort of deal with it, you know, like it's up to what you feel. And sometimes it does take a protest to change the laws and to make people realise things and you have to do what you think is best and I don't think we can really be there to judge.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, it was um, a pretty familiar story over the weekend. Hearts were looked at for uh, potential abuse of Alfredo Morelos, of Rangers, Bristol City fans being investigated too. Uh, Is this a result of there being more reporting at games, Sam, more awareness of the topic, or is it a a sign that everything is just going to pop?
2: It's really tricky and difficult, um, and it's difficult to sometimes articulate this in the way you want to, so if I do it clumsily, then I apologise. But obviously, the increase in reporting and attention given to these issues is a good thing that it's important that we don't accept this as a media and as fans in stadiums but I also worry whether the attention given to it sometimes actually puts it further in the further forward in the minds of the idiots who actually do these things and the racists and you look at Bulgaria and how much discussion there was before the match about racism and then you look at the response of those black-shirted Nazi saluting Bulgaria fans who were very clearly potentially giving the middle finger up to the system, saying, you've told us, you know, not to do it, yeah. et cetera, so Quite now we're going to do it more.
1: holding up T-shirts which are, you know, protesting yeah, the way for initiative.
2: Exactly. Um, so you look at that and think, when a racist bigot sees Raheem Sterling, does he now actually think, is, does he now feel more inclined to racially abuse him and, you know, stick one up to the man because of the attention that's come from it than he did before. I don't know if that's true or not. I just wonder whether... It seems to be that, as we know, the problem's getting worse and last year there were more incidents of it than before and it seems to be getting worse and worse and I just wonder whether, not that there's a no solution to this because I think we need to keep calling it out, absolutely, but I do wonder whether the correlation sort of goes hand in hand with increased interest in it and then increased idiocy around it from people who are more... Um, self-conscious of it
0: can I just um, say something that's such an interesting thing that you were talking about because in Italy what's been happening recently is obviously if there is any racist abuse then the club is fined and the club goes through all these sanctions or whatever it is um And what certain presidents and owners have come out and said is we're being held to ransom by these guys, by the ultras who will come up to us and say, we want this amount of tickets. We want this type of merchandise. We want this all for free. You don't give us what we want and we'll say a few racist things and then you're you're banned and then Mm -hmm. you make even less money. So Juventus have been under sort of threat and Agnelli is now cooperating with the authorities and he came out and called them out on it. And he said, we've been living under this terror in the sense that the ultras keep threatening us that they'll do all these things. Um... And then and, and it begs the question, you know, are they doing this to get the power to run sort of their shady dealings and then think, you know, well, you're going to get into so much, you know, problems like Bulgaria did. Obviously, all, all, all that happened afterwards for them. We'll put you in all of this mess or just give us what we want and then we won't say anything. We'll just mm. happily watch the game. And it's kind of putting people as we- well.
2: weaponizing it.
0: Yeah, weaponising something. Exactly.
1: Let's leave that depressing subject behind and listen to some lovely Music. Yes, it's time for a song for Europe. Mina, the Clásico's off because of the protests in Barcelona. Is this the right call?
0: Um, I guess it has to be right because, you know, considering the situation that's going on in Catalonia right now, um, if you don't know this, then that it's following the jailing of nine uh, Catalan political leaders uh, for the part that they played in staging an illegal referendum and the failed bid for independence. Uh, So, what happens from now and when they will play the Clásico will be decided today. Both clubs wanted to be played, I think, on the 18th of December. It has to be played before the first set of fixtures are played, the first half. So, I mean, it comes at a good time when you consider the fact that Dembélé wouldn't be there for Barcelona and Real Madrid. I'm not entirely sure if any player would be available because they're just going through such an injury crisis. So... It's, it's different. People wanted different things, but both clubs didn't want to have it at the Bernabeu, which is what the league wanted. So I guess it's a good, uh, as long as they're happy with it.
1: Yeah, Real Madrid lost their unbeaten start to Mallorca. What happened there? Was it the injury crisis that caught up with them?
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, there's no Luka Modric, Eden Hazard, Tony Crows, Gareth Bale. Um, Varane and Cavajal were rested because they obviously got a Champions League game midweek. Um, they never obviously brought in the likes of Paul Pogba or Van der Beek. So they're lacking in central midfielders. And you can't really leave Casemiro alone with James Rodriguez and Isco. Um, also, no one really tends to help him do his job at the back there. So and you, when you're forcing James to go deep and try to get the ball as well, there's not enough. He's not really fresh when he does make those runs into midfield, which is where he's at his best. When you consider the fact that Adria Zola also got sent off, uh, defense wasn't really doing its job. You sort of understand what's happening there, but you're, you're talking about stripping the, the club of all its champions. So, yes, it's going to come up with a really weird result.
1: What about Bayern Munich, Mina? Uh, disappointing <laughs> result for them, drawing 2 all with Augsburg. Why have they started slowly? Happened last year, didn't it?
0: Yeah, I'm going to say something that might be a little bit controversial, but I, I just feel like the quality of the Bundesliga has gone down yeah. last season and this season. And... You know, Niko Kovac is not the right coach. I think that there's like a little bit of a vacuum of great talent in, in the Bundesliga right now. There's very uh, there's a lot of potential, but not necessarily proven talent. Uh, Bayern have only won four out of eight games, and this was n- not a very good game, obviously, because for many reasons, Sule's out with an ACL injury now, and I don't think Coutinho should have played considering he's just come back from Singapore, but, you know, I'm not Niko Kovac. But you just look at the, this sort of league table and you look at... Borussia Mönchengladbach are at the top. This is a, lo- a side that lost 4-0 in the Europa League against a team called Wolfsberger. It took me a while to figure out where Wolfsberger is because it's in Austria. And 4-0. And you think, oh, it's the Europa League. They probably played their second string. No, no, they played their starting lineup, and they're top of the league right now, you know. Dortmund, I don't know what's going on with them because they really love the 2-2 uh, sort of results and they've got three in a row. Um, they finally managed to change that this weekend. But... You look at Bayer Leverkusen and they had, they played locomotive Moscow and they had 79% possession and couldn't score a goal. They had 55% possession against Juventus and couldn't even get a shot on target. So I I just feel like right now, it's not quality football. And this is the year, if ever there was one, to take away that challenge or to bring that challenge to Bayern Munich because they are also poor and I know people will point to Spurs but I'm sorry Brighton managed to beat Spurs at the moment Wadford should have beaten them <laughs> so this isn't a way to judge them but there is a, there is that vacuum and I do think that had Lucien Favre and his Borussia Dortmund been a little bit better they could have really won this
2: Jaden Sancho suspended this weekend wasn't he? Yeah absolutely for, uh, for
0: coming home late from... turning up
2: late and mm. find. not good.
1: England players misbehaving whatever country they're playing football in Meanwhile, in Italy, 87-year-old Gianluigi Buffon put in a great performance for Juve as they got past Bologna. But surely the game of the weekend was Sassuolo 3, Internazionale 4. And yes, that was a Phil Collins reference. Uh, (laughs) What happened there, Mina? Fantastic game.
0: It was a fantastic game. I think this is the kind of games that you do see in Italy after international break. Um, Sassuolo have just lost their president the man who made them in Giorgio Squeensie, and he died at, uh, I think he's... 74. And it's very sad for them. Um, So they're going through a period of mourning right now. And I think that they wanted to do something special. It's a big game, obviously, against Antonio Conte's Inter. And they did do very special because after 70 minutes, Inter, who did score four goals, two with Lautaro Martinez and a brace for Lukaku as well, they just had a blackout. And Sassuolo managed to really pin them back, not allow them to counterattack, and then just went for it and got three goals, made it really nervous towards the end. And it was so exciting because I do think Serie A is a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, better than Germany for sure let's finish up with a question we put to our friends on social media which was as follows the referee is yet to consult the VAR pitch side screens in any incident in the Premier League so far this season how would you incentivise referees to go and take a look Ross Paul on Twitter took this pretty seriously and simply said make it mandatory for penalty decisions how about you JJ
3: Uh, I think you get someone that they don't trust that much to be in the VR like their, their son or something (laughs) <laughs> to the VAR room. <laughs> so what is it? Uh, I, I love it, that
2: they do trust the penalty. I think
3: it's a penalty. <laughs> it's
4: like, ah, I have to check this one. <laughs> have to, have to check. <laughs> yeah.
2: Beat that, Sam. So. Um how do you get anyone in football to do anything? You commercially incentivize it. So I'm thinking you have to make them wear a certain type of glasses to look at the video. So then you can get someone like Specsavers to sponsor them. Cuz there's nothing in it for referees. Where where's they've got no boot deals, they've yeah. got no kit deals.
0: So you're bribing them.
2: No, no, no. I'm Did giving you them commercial up? opportunities. Maybe you could put a chair by the screen, a chair sponsored by a furniture outlet, so you could have like a Habitat deal with the referee, and he would go on their adverts this and be like... Have you
3: been bribed by Habitat and i <laughs> other,
2: other, 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 what, you know... Furniture outlets are available. And Um, This uh, is fantastic,
1: Sam. I can't believe the Premier League went from that no mark from the Guardian. They could have had you in charge. I
2: know, I know, mental. But you just commercially incentivise them because footballers do it. Footballers, you know, Nicholas Benton wears Paddy Power pants. Yeah. Other, you know, places. He just likes them.
1: He doesn't always show them. He just, like, really enjoyed the fit of them when he did it commercially
2: at one time. But referees get none of this. What watch? What, what watch does Martin Atkinson wear? Yeah, you don't know, do you? I don't. He know. should be able to get cash in on that <laughs> and say, "I'm wearing a Rolex because it's accurate." Lena, <laughs> what have you got?
0: I guess power of the people, right? Just to uh, you know, like sort of get every the crowd to do a mass protest. Ask or, the
2: audience, like, "Can be a millionaire?"
0: Just like get them to clap, them you know, voting. like sort of a soft clap, like, "Come on, like you know, check it, check it," you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> And I feel like the the power of the people, which forces them sometimes to make silly decisions when it comes to red cards and stuff, might actually force them to go over. I
3: wonder if they copied like what they do in rugby, which I, I really enjoyed watching this World Cup, where you can, I mean, they do it all the time, but you hear clearly the conversation that they're having between them, so you know what's going on. So then there's no way to hide behind what's happened. You've you've heard what the VAR has said to them, and they've got to reply back to you. So then if they think, oh, I'm going to look stupid here when this comes out, they might as well just go and check it.
2: The issue um. is that the I think the... Players world of football is, yeah. is slightly less articulate than the world yeah. of rugby very few <laughs>
1: players addressing the referee as sir uh,
2: in football suddenly you've got uh, a bunch of lads running in and saying things that you don't want being broadcast at half one well on it Saturday would create well, like
0: Dembele saying you're bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> then you, then you are very card.
2: bad <laughs> it would create job bad. opportunities for people
3: to push the bleep button That's so I'm creating employment with my ideas as well
2: I mean at these uncertain times we need more of those opportunities
0: JJ yeah. for Prime Minister
2: <laughs> please pull <laughs> in <laughs>
1: That's the for this week. You can contact me on Twitter if you'd like to before. Next Monday's episode it's at Tom with an H Gibbs. And why not send us an email? afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk is the address. We'll read out the very best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to Audio Football Club. You can get it every week by looking for Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.